Welcome to the Free Lunch Podcast. My name is Tight Tight, one half of the Free Lunch Podcast duo, and I got the main man with me, BG. BG, how you feeling today? Yes, it is. BG, the 2-7 kid. This is the Free Lunch Podcast, and we're bubbling over, as you can tell. We are extremely excited about what we have in store for you on this special episode. We're sure that you'll get something from it, and you'll definitely give us props for being one of the hottest podcasts in the South. But outside of that, how you feel, Tight? Man, I'm I'm nervous. <laughs> cause, cause I tried to start the podcast the right way, and I totally uh, blew it. Blew it, and so this is take two of the intro. But as we've mentioned, uh, and as BG mentioned, uh, we continue to try to bring you all, our listeners, and the Free Lunch Podcast family, um, genuine, authentic guests. And as we continuously say, no games, no gimmicks. So. Um, I'm going to allow BG to do the proper introduction for this guest, who I am extremely honored and humbled to have on our show. Yeah, I, I think your your nervousness is justified because, like I say, we we are in the presence of what I would call greatness. And, and who we have for you today is one of the most prolific poets and writers of our time. She's highly respected, received numerous awards and accolades including seven NAACP Image Awards. She also had a Grammy nomination and multiple works listed on the New York Times and Los Angeles Times bestsellers list. Just to name a few, because that list was long uh, that we looked at. It's pages. And pages and pages. And in addition to that, she was named to Oprah Winfrey's 25 Living Legends. She recently added another work, and we'll talk about it. It's a book. Um, called Chasing Utopia, a hybrid. And also she's been an ambassador of culture, an example of pride and power and soul. She continues to be an inspiration and a light for humanity. You know, you talked about early on, we started kind of creating our wish list. You know, I was just doing something at work as usual, doing a YouTube <laughs> thing, stumbled across the interview. And it was this this beautiful young lady, Afro flowing, <laughs> interviewing another great. Yes. Muhammad Ali. Yes, and it yes. wasn't your traditional interview. It was it was so down to earth. Um, it was so sultry to see those two go back and forth. And you could really feel the energy. And I'm, and I'm sure for the time, it was really inspirational for those black boys and girls that were watching it because it was inspirational for me l years later. Right. Um, so without further ado, we have a writer, commentator, <laughs> activist, educator, but more importantly, a funky poet. <laughs> so Free Lunch Podcast, it is indeed our pleasure to introduce to you Miss Nikki Giovanni. Y'all in the winning circle, shots of squares though. You in the killing fields, ignoring the scarecrows. Yeah, ho, I'm Benny Blanco in the last scene. Making the power play high off for caffeine. This is a tag team, fair to see the bad dream. The male version of Kerry killing the class queen. Bati bloggers quit dodging my emails. Take yeah. that whack shit off, the real yeah. revamp. Welcome to the show, Mrs. Giovanni. How are you today? Thanks, Patty. I'm fine. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, first, let me say thank you for allowing us to, to have you on the show. And, 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 and if you don't mind, I do like to give this, this quick history lesson. The, the small things that you do that I think go un, unheard and unrecognized, and, and this is one that happened particularly with, with me. Uh, my girlfriend is teaching a third grade elementary class um and in the dc area 
and she teaches a poetry a poetry class and i know she sent an email asking if you could could join and and you were unable to join um but but she received a handwritten note in one of your your poetry books that basically um just saying hey you wouldn't be able to make the trip but you wanted to make certain that her poetry class and those group of students um, were able to, to, to read your poetry and, and get engulfed in poetry. And it's those type of stories that that go unheard that I wanted to make certain that I, I kind of acknowledge because that's what motivated me to email and ask you to be on our show. So again, thank you just for that kind on, on, on her behalf, on behalf of that third grade class. Uh, we all would just like to say thank you for that small gesture um, and sending out that, that, that poetry book. We we did have a few current event questions wanted to get your opinion on, um, mm-hmm. but ultimately we wanted to kind of take a quick journey through, through, through your life and the role you've just played in American history. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and okay. we both admire you. We, you, you've been of inspiration to us, but oh, before we you. even get started, I know you are a wine connoisseur, and I know you are a drinker of uh, of Utopia, and we eventually get into your book. Uh, but but it, with this being on a Friday afternoon, uh, which one are you having at the moment? Uh, at the moment, I actually don't laugh, but I've been trying to improve my vegetables, and so I drank my kale. There's a a, a liquid kale drink that you know it's it's look it's a uh, vegetables and it really is good for you and i had a piece of pound cake in my and my veggies so i'm feeling very okay. <laughs> that sounds that sounds real good are you gonna be are you gonna be having any 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 um any wine later today uh most likely not because i've um just because it's been a busy day and a busy week. And sometimes just before you go to bed, you know, I've been reading the new book on James Baldwin. And so I'll, you know, hop in bed and do that. But uh, it's just been a busy week. So you, you can't, you, you shouldn't drink when you're tired. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you're tired. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good thing. Any recommendations though, Professor Giovanni, uh, any, any good wines that we should try? I'm a Sauvignon Blanc guy myself, but. Well, there is a, a wonderful red. It's new and it's inexpensive. Uh, we just bought it. It's called the Dark, okay. and uh, it's it's a Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, not Blanc, but um, Cabernet. Yeah, and it, it's really quite nice. It's only about you know twenty dollars a bottle, so it's 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 pleasant. Okay, <laughs> we'll try we'll try that out. We bought it because of the the title, the Dark, and the so Dark. We, yeah, yeah, we fell in love with it. Uh, we did want to have a, actually a few a few current event questions. I know one of them is um, you are a huge supporter and 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 you actually teach at Virginia Tech. I do. Um, with with me being from the state of Alabama and attending Auburn University, uh, I know that you all recently announced that Frank Beamer is going to be retiring, yeah. and you all will be looking for uh, having a vacancy in the in the head coaching position. Right. Uh, what what were your thoughts and just um, uh, around the the current football program and and the way things are going? Well, I, I teach uh, right now. I'm teaching six of the football players. I'm teaching six of Frank's guys. Frank Beamer has been a, a wonderful, wonderful colleague, and I've been here. I think he's been at Tech 29 years, and I've been here about 27. Oh wow! And the first year that uh, I came, I was teaching the Harlem Renaissance, and I decided uh, in order to help. Uh, my faculty helped help the people here understand what what uh, the one part of what the Renaissance stood for. I had a fish fry on the drill field, 
And you know how you get nervous because you, you're, I, I had, had rented all of this equipment and we're frying the fish and stuff. And I thought, oh my goodness, nobody's going to come. And I looked up and Frank had, had come, Frank walked across the field with his football team in support oh, wow, wow. of my, my program. And I, of course, I have loved him ever since. And we have, uh, we're not, uh, we're not personal friends. We're not, we don't hang out with each other. But uh, as, as far as the university is concerned, we have been very supportive of each other. And actually, as we all know, nobody can take Frank's place. So we, we, we will end up hiring somebody. But it, Frank's a good man. And uh, I don't have to tell either one of you that a good man, <laughs> that's the song, isn't it? Yeah. It's hard to find. <laughs> yeah. And he'll be forever connected to that program, regardless of what happens down the road. I'm hoping that we will continue um, to work with him because every, every writer, and, and, and I would include myself, wants to teach a writer. And I've had the pleasure, of course, of teaching Kwame Alexander, who this year won the uh, the Newberry Award for the crossover. And I'm very proud. Kwame is such a lovely, he's my literary son, such a lovely young man. But I really would love to be able to work with Frank and, and to see mm-hmm. Frank write his own book. Because mm-hmm. most of the books you read from athletics or from the athletes, period, uh, are as told to, you know, John Smith as told to. And right. I, I think that they have their own story to tell. And I'd like to see them just sit down and it, it, you know, maybe it won't be as smooth, but if ever there is a narration, it's on uh, the tennis court, it's on the football field, it's on the basketball. You, you, can, you can see the narration. You can see how the story is evolving. Now, they're not always able to make it work because some, the other side has a narration also. But when you watch football, which I do, I, I, I like the game. Mm-hmm. When you watch football, you really do get to see a narration. You really do get to see, oh, yeah, th- this is the lead and this is the backup and this is the, the main th- theme here. And you'd like to see that yeah. put on paper. And I guess this, just to uh, stay around the same topic of Virginia Tech, um, <laughs> we, we all are familiar, and we don't want to touch on this for, for, for too long, but we're all familiar with, um, I believe it was 2007, and and the incident that happened on the campus, um, and we know um, about the shooter who I won't call by name, um, but you had an opportunity to you actually taught that student. Can you kind of talk about that um, as a frame of reference? And well, I think um, the entire Virginia Tech family uh, was the Hokie Nation was shot, and uh, <clears throat> Sandy. Smith, who was the president's um, executive secretary, uh, and Sandy is a friend, and, and I love her so much. But Sandy called me and said, "Nikki, will you will you, will you anchor uh, convocation?" And so the answer to anything like that is yes. But I didn't want to, uh, and I knew that George Bush was coming. Uh, the president came, yes, but yes. I didn't want to go over it. I'm, I'm not a cop or anything like that. I wanted to say something to the people that I care about and the people that I love. And so you're going to get the first line of a poem when you have something like that. We are Virginia Tech, not what happened to us, but who we are. And we have to make, <clears throat> excuse me, we have to make a decision about how we, how we absorb this and go and go forward. And I think that I was just fortunate that, um, my spirit and, and the spirit of, of the of the community came together and uh, we were able to 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 lift each other. George Bush. Uh, and I'm not a Republican. I know everybody knows that. But, but uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Bush said, you know, good job. And I said, thank you, Mr. President, because uh, my job there was to say was to remind us that we are 
we the Hokie Nation is strong, and and that we we will we will be sad because it was sad. And so nobody's going to say, "Oh, it'll be all right." It won't be all right. These people will not come back to us, but mm-hmm. they will stay in our hearts. And I think that we did a good job. Oh, you did a wonderful job. And and for those of our audience members that aren't familiar or haven't seen it, if you would go on YouTube and actually um, look at the, the the poem and the words that you shared, it was. It was one that's very inspirational and one that we had to ask as part of as part of this particular interview. Um, we 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 the reason we've started this, Miss G, uh, Professor Giovanni, is because we've essentially started to make a digital library, and really we're trying to educate um, our audience um, to um, individuals that we admire and, and that have inspired us. Um, the majority of our audience is, is, is from the South, Southerners, um, around the age of uh, Generation X and Generation Y. And we saw it from our studies and we kind of wanted to walk through your personal story mm-hmm. uh, because it's one that I think our audience needs to learn and know. And we kind of touched on this when we spoke last week. Right. Um, but your father um, is actually from Mobile, as I'm from Mobile. Right. And you and, and and BG, who is from Selma, um, you've also visited Selma. And we really wanted to just kind of start from there, um, from 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 even from your father and then your childhood, and just kind of go from go from there. If that's okay. Oh, sure. You know, we we get teased a lot uh, about our name because Giovanni, as you know, anybody that knows any kind of Italian, we know that Giovanni is the first name. It means John, and. The fact that my father's name, uh, his last name, uh, his his mother's name is Maddie Jones, and so my dad's name is uh, was uh, Jones Giovanni, and we we think because as you know, Mobile is a uh, uh, a port. Yeah. We think that an Italian, you know, Giovanni came through and had a relationship with Maddie Jones, and Maddie was expecting, or you know, became expectant, and. What she remembered was that it was Giovanni's, and that's how we got our name. We get teased about that. But, of course, Alabama is uh, also the, depends on how you look at it, the end of the beginning of Appalachia. And I am a big, big, big fan of Appalachia because the Appalachian community has always welcomed black people. When we when we move up into these hills where we are now, when we move up into uh uh, Virginia and and uh, really really West Virginia because I'm here in in Blacksburg Virginia but we're we're right there close to it. These are the people that if you were a runaway slave you followed the Appalachian Trail and you came up this far they would never send you back. Mm-hmm. And these are the people who had said you know we will not send our sons so that the Shenandoah can have slaves. And as you know Virginia what Virginia used to run Botetourt County ran from the uh, Atlantic Ocean to uh, Ohio River. And West Virginia, of course, pulled away from it. It was going to be Kanawha. And uh, I don't know why it ended up being West Virginia, but nonetheless, this area pulled away. And that's going to be the major difference in the Civil War. If West Virginia hadn't pulled away, Virginia would have been able to block the uh, the, the movement. And so we were really glad. Uh, I like Virginia and I live here, but we were really proud and I, I remain proud to be a part of the Appalachian community. I'm a Knoxvillian by by birth and Eastern Tennessee is what saved, uh, as we know, Tennessee from actually having to be occupied after the Civil War. Because, as you know, Memphis was was right there. Memphis could have uh, segued right into Mississippi and nobody would have missed it. And, of course, Nashville was only 
was and still is only about money. And so when, when we start to look at who stood up for something, who stood up for that which was right, we're talking Eastern Tennessee, we're talking uh, uh, Knoxville. So we have this, 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 this thing going, there's this, whether it's, it, it's some of it is physical, but it's also emotional uh, uh, trail going up from, from uh, actually almost from, from, from Mobile. Mm. I first went to, um, to uh, Selma simply because, you know, I, I wasn't there at the march. And uh, my mom is a big jazz fan, so I grew up hearing people like Billie Holiday, which is so wonderful. And I remember first hearing Strange Fruit, and it, it took me the longest to realize, you know, Southern Trees right. bear right. Strange Fruit. It took me the longest to understand, oh, I wonder what she means. But then we, when we get to Selma, we're going to get to Nina Simone, which is incredible. You talk about a book that needs to be written mm-hmm. uh, uh uh, Billie Holiday's influence on Nina Simone, because we're going to get to, you know, everybody's talking about Mississippi, goddamn, you know, and she's going <laughs> to sing that at, uh, you remember, she's going to sing that at Selma, which is going to harm her career, but Nina was a, a great woman, and she was standing up for something special, but we were in, uh, I went to Selma with a friend, we were just driving, we decided to drive the Civil Rights Trail, and we were in Selma one, one uh, Saturday, actually, and went to a hotel because we needed to spend the night. Just there's, Well, you know Selma, so there's not that much there. It's a hotel, and it was an old hotel. We didn't want to go and spend the night, you know, in the Marriott or something. And we, we went there, and, and just really just dumb luck. The room that we got, we got uh, like a suite. They were saying, you want a room, you want a suite? We thought we get a suite. And the room that we got, the suite that we got, had a kind of like porch. And when you walked out there because uh, speaking of you know having a glass of wine and walked out there what you could see is that this room and and (laughs) this room (laughs) overlooked the bridge and it was an amazing thing to me because I found I I don't mean finally but in looking at that I realized on that Sunday there were people standing in that room probably drinking mint juleps watching the police beat the marchers who were only trying to march for freedom that they were standing there. You know, it was, it was just luck or, or something that we actually had that room. We could have had another room and been on the other side of the hotel and never have seen it. But uh, we did, of course, uh, the next morning, get up and walk that walk across that bridge. Um, I don't pretend I'm not trying to that my walking across that bridge when I did was anything like what those people did, but it was still, uh, a wonderful feeling to know that that I am I am standing where others have stood. It, it was a great feeling. Yeah, you definitely get that feeling, and and that's the St. James historic St. James Hotel that you're talking oh, about in, uh-huh. in Selma. Yeah, people were were there, and on top of the other buildings that are adjacent to that along that street, like you say, just being spectators of of that historic moment that was going on. So you talked a little bit about. The, the influence of, of growing up and hearing jazz and, and, and getting this inspiration from some of those greats from our community. Give us a little bit more about, you know, as a kid in your household growing up and some of the influences that you um, that you were exposed to that some way molded you into who you are today. I think it all did. You know, my my grandparents were, were Baptists and I've always loved uh, gospel and, and spiritual mu- music. But my mom, when we moved to Cincinnati, my mother married my father. Uh, they were both Knoxville College graduates. And he had a job. Gus got a job in Cincinnati. So we moved to Cincinnati. And I don't know why mommy didn't go to a Baptist church. There are a million of them there. But she joined an AME church. Mm-hmm. And nobody, nobody sings like the AME do. So right. I grew up 
with that really just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, music. And I'm, I'm amazed now because I can look at Jeopardy, you know, they'll have uh, like song lyrics. And that's the only thing. I will get every one of those right because <laughs> I will. I will get every. And, and we grew up, of course, I grew up in the age of segregation. And we had a home. Our home was in a little town called Lincoln Heights. And Lincoln Heights, among other things, is also the home of the Isley brothers. Ronald Isley used to date my sister. Hmm. And yeah, that's the truth. He's a wonderful young man. But my big brother was was actually uh, O'Kelly. Well, we the people called him Kelly once he, you know, became famous. But we we knew him as O'Kelly. And when I published my first book and came to New York, O'Kelly had a had a book party for me. And it was just it was like being old home. You know, it's like having a big brother. And it was so wonderful because I'm used to listening to good music and I'm used to hearing how we take, you know, the Isley Brothers big hit was you you know, shout which was actually a, a gospel. You make me want to shout, throw my hands up and shout. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was gospel. They had a brother, which a lot of people didn't know. Uh, his name was Vernon. And when Miss Isley was beginning, uh, I don't know what happened to Mr. Isley, but when Mrs. Isley was beginning to take her sons, because they had run all of the, all of the uh, 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 talent shows in Cincinnati, and she began to take them out more and more, they, were, they had moved over to uh, an area called uh, Blue Ash, and Vernon was walking to school one day, but Vernon was uh, my age. And Vernon was walking to school one day and got hit by a car and got killed. Mm. And uh, it was uh, very sad. So they just left it with the, um, that's why it was three Isley brothers, as opposed to, you know, like four Beatles or, you know, something like that. Uh, it would have been the four of them, but our Jackson five, of course. But you, we, we grew up hearing those people and, and seeing the influence, of course, of the church on their music and on their their um, on their images on their lyrics, and of course the church is in, incredibly important. And I know that there are people that get involved in religion uh, probably in a way different uh, from I do from from what I do. But the church was important in trying to teach us how we how we treat each other, how we look at the older people in the community, how we give back. And uh, I, I just don't think you can. Uh, I don't think. I, I think that without the church, people become incredibly trashy. <laughs> at, at what age did you start writing and really and reading and really have a love for for the arts and and, and then eventually for history as well? Uh, but I always, I mean, I don't, and and this is not a good answer to you, but I don't remember a time that I didn't. I always liked to read, mm-hmm. and my mother gave me a book. Oh gosh, when I was. Mm, I don't know, eight, nine years old, called The Cave Twins. There was a whole book on twins. And somehow, and this is one of those, talk about God-given, somehow I kept that book. And I am 72 years old. And if you come to my home right now, you'll see it. And I've always, I look at it and I remember my mother and I smile. I don't know why she got, I don't, I really don't know, but uh, I loved reading about the twins and what they were doing. And they used to bake potatoes is what I remember most. <laughs> and, you know, because they're, they're cave twins. And so their grandmother would start a fire and they would put uh, white potatoes in and they would bake them and then they would pull them out and they would burn their hands and then they would, they would eat them. And I've always loved baked potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is this is great. Uh, you have a great a great website that really breaks down the um, your 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 chronological um his, your history and and your and your um tree family tree etc. And I know your grandfather went to Fisk University um and eventually you would go to to the same university. Mm-hmm. Um 
kind of fast forward and, and, and talking about your experiences in college and, and even, even being kicked out of the university and then going back, can you share with our audience that, that timetable and that period for you? Well, Grandpapa graduated from Fisk in 1905. And of course, Grandpapa knew, uh, knew uh, uh, Du Bois, you know, he, he was there at that, that time. Oh, really? I, yeah. I was a bit more of a rebel. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was going to yeah. have some, some issues when I was there because uh, uh, I did learn I, and I appreciate it. I, I had to learn, and I think we all do, uh, what it does mean. And I think any, mm, I'm saying this badly and I don't mean to, I think any sort of intelligent kid, we know we can read our way through. So learning to appreciate uh, formal education is going to take a minute. I did get kicked out and I didn't, I would have, had I known, I would have done anything to not uh, have embarrassed my grandparents because uh, college, uh, a, a, a college education meant, um, meant a great deal to them. And um, I did go back and do that. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is the dean who, who uh, kicked me out. She was wrong. There's no question. I was at a fundraiser in Washington, D.C., and an older lady came up to me and she said, I don't I don't think you know who I am. And I, I'm not good with names on a good day. And so I was looking at her and said, I'm sorry, I don't. And she said, I'm, 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 I'm the dean who kicked you out. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, you did me a favor. And in a way she did because uh, it was like, uh, you, I don't know if you follow horse racing. I, I grew up in Cincinnati, so I we're do. right down the street from Churchill Downs. But when Amer when when American Pharaoh yes. lost, because he's only lost one race, right. got his attention. And being, uh, and of course, he won the Breeders' Cup, and so now he can, can retire. He's done everything that he's supposed to do. Right. When I got kicked out of school, I realized that I needed to either, you know, if it, if it meant something to me, settle down and do it. If not, let it go. But it did mean something to me. And so I did settle down and do it. And I graduated Phi Beta Cap, and I'm proud of that. And, you know, my grandmother was proud. You know, the, the things that you want. But you fool around because you don't – it's not that you don't take it seriously. But it's that you think it's always going to be there. And so you something needs to get your attention. I guess that's right, too, because I, I'm teaching a class right now on um, dangerous drugs and narcotics. And, and I have a class of about 28 students. And I kind of feel like they're not attached. They're really not interested in, in what I'm teaching or just interested in what it means to be at uh, in college and have a, an opportunity to take advantage of that. But when I do look back as a student myself, I kind of had those moments too, to where you're really not grasping the, the magnitude uh, of the moment and, and really thinking about what you need to do to assert yourself. So it worried me because I'm just like, these kids are not getting it, but it seems to just be a part of the process of growing up and maturing. No, I think so. And, and, you know, it, it takes a minute because uh, we're having, uh, we uh, here in Virginia are having a, a question. Uh, I voted for Penny Franklin, of course, but we're having a question of whether or not school should start later because, you know, we have kids going to school so early, they're not getting enough rest mm -hmm. and they're, they're tired. And if we started school at nine o'clock, well, the businesses are having a fit because they're used to opening at a certain hour. But if we started school at nine o'clock, the sun would be up and the kids would have had a chance to have had breakfast. And the teachers would have had a chance to have got a good night's rest. I favor regular school going from, you know, nine in the morning until about four. And I certainly favor that the United States should put more um, more money 
in, in, into the arts and into uh, uh, athletics, not even with the idea that they're going to be uh, drafted by the NFL or something, but into right. the idea that kids need to, uh, they need to do something. They need to dance. They need to play a little tennis. They need to, of course, my, my son played soccer and soccer is a good sport because it keeps your whole, your whole body moving. Mm-hmm. And we, we just need to find other ways to, we need to rethink this thing that we're calling America and how we're going to integrate both racially and um, economically. And, you know, I said to my kids, speaking of, of your kids and mine, I said to my kids the other day, because of this situation with Syria, I said to them, this is your assignment. <laughs> and it makes them crazy. <laughs> if somebody gave you 60,000 men, because we have 60,000 people, as you know, in, in, uh, uh, on, on standby for Syria, I said, if somebody, uh, uh, yeah, sixty thousand. I said, if somebody gave you six, no, six thousand. If somebody gave you six thousand men, what could you do with it? And it was really interesting because most of them said, I'd clean up the cities. Hmm. If I had six thousand men, I would clean up the subways in New York. I would start there, and I would bring them down the East Coast. You know what that would do for our health? We would save a bundle because people spit on the streets and people walk in that, and people have to breathe in what people are spitting out. If we just got the this, this, this streets clean, look what it would do for us. We, we would save a fortune on our health. But mostly, we would also feel that, that we are a part of something, that this is something we look out for. We'd empty the garbage. We would, we would be better people, cleaner, better people. And the kids were laughing, but they, uh, most of my students agreed. A couple of them were saying, you know, oh, we have to have, we have to be... Uh, Soldiers, because if, we don't, if we're not going to be soldiers, you know, they're going to come over and get us. So there's no way. There was never any question. I grew up in Vietnam. There is never a question that the Vietnamese were going to come over here and do anything to us. Mm. And so it didn't make any sense that we're, we're paying people to kill people when we don't want to pay people to clean up. We don't want to pay people to cook. We don't want to pay people to help old people and, and old folks home. Why wouldn't we? We've got all of these soldiers. Bring them home and let them do some good. You had an opportunity to interview one of the greatest. Uh, well, not one of the, the greatest. <laughs> let me correct myself. Um, uh, uh, boxer in, our, uh, of, of, in American history, uh, uh, Muhammad Ali, yeah. um, a legend. Can you t- and, and, and also, you actually traveled with him. Yeah. Um, during a period of time. Can you kind of talk about Muhammad Ali and, and even the relationship and things you were able to, to learn from him? Dealing with Ali was was great fun. We met through uh, a show called Soul uh, because Ellis Hazlip did that. And, of course, you know, you know Ali is, well, you know him. He, he's very, uh, you know, outgoing and everything. But then they wanted to draft him, and he was not going to be uh, drafted. So the United States stripped him, as you know, of his um, of his title. And when that happened, he had to do something. We shared a publicist, and her name was Victoria Lucas. She is passed now. And Victoria worked for um, uh, uh, Richard Fulton, and Richard Fulton handled uh, Ali's uh, speaking. And so Fulton said to to uh, to Vicky, you know, you think Nikki would would uh, like to travel with Ali? You know, put them together because I was beginning to make a, a bit of a career. I'm a better poet than Ali is, but he's a better boxer than I am. And so. It was like, okay, yeah, that'll be fun. Well, of course, the, the great part, you know, Ali is quite a, um, fair to say, a womanizer. And uh, his his wife was like, well, I'm okay. If, you know, if Nikki's going to travel with you, it'll be okay. <laughs> I didn't actually, but she didn't realize. I didn't travel with Ali. I flew where we were going. <laughs> he would be on his bus and he would have his girlfriends with him. <laughs> 
I was really glad when he uh, went back to uh, the, the was at the Rumble in the Jungle. And George Foreman was a lovely man. I had the pleasure of, of meeting and knowing, uh, not well, but, you know, knowing Mr. Foreman. And so the black men have, get, have gotten, I think, a, a short shift. And I really, really think that some history needs to be done besides something of the victimization. Everybody wants to say, oh, look at what happened. They got lynched. They got everything. And, and all of that is very sad. Don't misunderstand me at all. But there's another part of this story that, that says that these are great men, that they, the ordinary black guy working every day delivering the mail is a great man because he's going through a lot and he's still keeping his spirits up and he's still having a family and his kids are still looking for him to come home in the evening. And there's a story that needs to be told. You know what I'm saying? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And that's, and that's actually one reason why, why, why BG and I kind of started this podcast because to your very point, and I actually saw some of your commentary around the butler and some of your thoughts on, on that particular movie and, and just how media today um, has portrayed, portrayed the black male in, in general. And that was one of the, the questions that I know BG had as well. You led right into it. It's just like the images in, in mass media, um, TV, film, and, and all other streams. It just seems like there's this uh, propagandizing of black life and, and black Americans. And they use the characters and they, they write the scripts in certain in a certain way that and oftentimes it really shows our community in a negative light it shows us as being hyper aggressive incompetent or hypersexual um without ever coming back with characterization that gives us that balance so professor giovanni you're watching some of these things i'm sure people are asking you about it all the time do you feel like the media is doing the black community it's just do i think and, and i don't mean to join in um kicking the media. <laughs> but I think that there's something wrong with the fact that if I turned off, we're Skyping, if I turned off right now, what'll come up will probably be some level of murder. There'll be a, how to get away with it, how to do it, why to do it, your next door neighbor is. And I think the media is 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 uh, teaching murder. I think the NRA is one of the dumbest organizations on earth because the idea that you should have a gun in order to protect yourself from guns is crazy. I think that it's it's really insane that the police department carries guns because I know, as do you, as do anybody else, you don't need power and authority. One or the other will do. And right now we've been giving the police department the power when actually what they need is, is the authority. They need the ability to talk to people and they need the ability to understand what they are trying to do, but they're not trying to control because we don't need control. What we need is somebody to lead. And uh, I'm, 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 as you probably gather, anti-gun because all the gun can do is, is kill you. And what we're trying to do is figure out ways. How do, how do you want to learn things? How do you want to do things? Speaking as a daughter, we, we want our fathers to, to be kind to us. We want our fathers to take care of our mothers, and that's not always my financial. I mean, we want to, we, we would like to come home and see our fathers cooking sometime. You know, mm -hmm. some of the things that men do, because men are not just sitting in in, 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 in some corner someplace and, honey, bring me a beer. It, it, it's, it's time that we made some major changes on how we are going to conduct our lives. Police brutality and, and, and the recent policing of, 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 of African-American males um, in, in America recently with the, with the Trayvon and the Freddie Gray, et cetera, 
What are you, what, what were your thoughts and comments on, on those events? None of that made any sense. I, I don't, Ooh, I don't even know how to go back to that. There's no, there's never an excuse to, to shoot an unarmed, per, but <laughs> to finish your sentence, Nikki, to shoot an unarmed person, but, there's never, it doesn't make any sense to, to always be shooting people. I'm also, by the way, very, very, very much against prison. And I have a wonderful, wonderful young man, a student here. And really, I do love him so much. I, I taught him a couple of years ago now. He graduated. And he was caught, if you can use that term, with marijuana. Hmm. And he's actually now in jail. And he has a four-year-old son. And so what we have is he's in jail and his son is missing his father. And then we're going to complain if the son comes up to be a little on the enraged side. And he has every reason to be enraged because we've robbed him of his father over something that he can grow. Because you don't have to be smart to grow. And I don't do drugs. I don't recommend drugs. I don't think that drugs are a good idea. Let me be clear. People can believe that or not. I, I can't do anything about that. But, you know, you can grow marijuana. You can get some some soil and put it in the sun in a window in your home. And in your apartment and throw it. And we are arresting people. And prison is, is now I'm, I'm writing six prisoners. My my a guy I call my my brother, Daryl Bailey. And, and Daryl is in prison in Colorado. It doesn't begin to make sense that we are prison is a business. Mm-hmm. Prison is, is, is what we're it has nothing to do. We spend more money on prison than we do anything else. But it has nothing to do with making us any safer because there's not a person. We could walk the streets right now anywhere you wanted to, from Mobile to Blacksburg, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And nobody will tell you, yeah, I feel safe. So what's wrong with that? What's wrong with it is that it's time that we started to say, how do we build a community? And this is what makes this so great. And this is why uh Dr. Giovanni is a is a hero in my book, is being able to have a conscious of what's going on in society and the world around us and then being able to to talk about it and write about it and put that into to a, a place where people can take it in and digest it for themselves. And, BG, and, and, and what's up? And even and even to add to that, and that was a question that I'm a, I have later on was her her ability to to speak freely on it. I have such faith in the people and you know I really was so I am so proud of Black Lives Matter. And uh, I wrote uh, I wrote to her, and it was very nice. I wrote that lady, and, and I got my shirt. I, I, I bought a couple of T-shirts. And, of course, uh, the I Can't Breathe, you know, the young the gentleman we, we choked to death. I just think that uh, the people have done a really wonderful job of expressing themselves. People have, have not been happy sometimes, but the people did. And they're saying, oh, they should do this, that, or the other. But I think the people do a good job. And, and I think that, that we, uh, at, at my stage of the game, when we were – that young, when we were sitting in, when we were in, uh, speaking of, of Alabama, when we were in Birmingham and they were turning hoses on, on, on the kids, everybody said, oh, those kids shouldn't be doing that, but they had to. And I like the people and I like what the people, I like what the people do. And uh, I like the rappers, as you know, I have a, a, a tattoo I, I that says know, Thug Life. Yes, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. And that was a question we were going to ask you about your, <laughs> about your tattoo and, and your Thug Life tattoo, because um i think it speaks to again speaks to your your courage um that you have and that you've had for 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 a long time now going back to 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 as early as fifth university and even earlier than that because as we were um studying your story um and and even um we we didn't talk about your 
about Columbia University or your or your transition to to New York. Um, but you were you were twenty seven, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven when you were being awarded all of these um, different uh, Women of the Year awards and all of these accolades at a very early age. Um, I do want you to speak about the Thug Life um, tattoo, though. But uh, when 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 Tupac died, which was Sunday or Monday, I really uh, don't can't pull up the date right it was now. A, it was a, it was a Sunday. It was a Sunday, and he died in that uh, that Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. And it was just incredibly sad. Uh, Tupac was my son's age, but more more he, he stood. You know, he's the one who did vote or die. He stood for things and. Losing that young man was really uh, very serious. And I was sitting with my mother and I was trying to explain to mama, you know, this is a serious loss. And I was trying to say, I need, I need to do something. I need to do something. And she said, well, you should, you know, whatever you need to do. And living here, of course, I'm living in, in, in tattoo uh, heaven because uh, <laughs> we have award-winning tattoo powers. But I went down to Alex's tattoo and um, I was sitting there, you know, I'm a little old black lady sitting there. Alex comes over. His name is Charles. Actually, Alex is his son. And he comes over and he says, may I help you? And I said, I, I, need, a, I need a tattoo. And so he did. He had to design it. And that's what took a long time. And so he did design it. And then we, he figured out, you know, I did, you know, what we liked. And so we got the one we liked. And then he, um, he, he put it on. And I don't know how uh, uh, the New York Times found out about it. I really don't know how. But uh, somebody must have mentioned, somebody did obviously mention it. And I got a call, you know, a couple of weeks from the New York Times. They said, we understand you have a thug life tattoo. And I said, I do. I got it for Tupac. And so they said, well, can we send a photographer over to, um, to, to photograph it? And I said, certainly, because I didn't know uh, Afeni. I didn't know Tupac's mother, but I wanted her to know that we missed her son. I wanted her to know that she was not alone in her grief. And I thought this was a good way to um, to, to let her know that because everybody's going to look at the New York Times. And so they did what they did, and uh, I let them do it. And I was really pleased. And I received a letter shortly after that from Afeni. And actually, I framed it, and it's on my wall right now, saying that it really meant something to her when she saw that, that you know, we cared about her son, that, that he was not just some drop in the bucket. I wanted to ask you, what were your thoughts when you heard President Obama essentially call the the people in Baltimore thugs and wanted to know um, what what you thought about uh, thought about that statement. I'm disappointed that he didn't appoint a black man to the Supreme Court because, you know, clearly Clarence Thomas is an idiot and a fool. <laughs> and we need <laughs> he is. And we needed to send a black man. And I would have appointed Eric Holder and found somebody else to be attorney general. But we needed to appoint a black man to balance Clarence out. Right. And so I was, I've been disappointed with that. And of course, I'm disappointed that he's now sending, we've got troops on the ground in, in Syria. And I think that that's a, that's a disappointment. I don't think that he's led uh, the country. You know, nobody voted for, for Barack Obama, you know, eight years ago. Nobody voted. And then we vote, as you know, on Tuesday and then woke up Wednesday morning and said, oh, my goodness, he's colored. We all knew that he was black when we voted for him. But just if every black person in America had voted for him, he wouldn't have been elected. So obviously he had a, a, a following. He had a group. And I thought that he should use that that power that we had given him to educate Americans, to to take another step. And he kept saying, well, I don't want I don't want people to think I'm prejudiced. I don't want people to think I'm just looking out for black people. I wanted him. I wanted to him just to look out for black people because we've had 43 other presidents who just looked out for whites. But mostly, again, we know that a lot of people voted 
for Mr. Obama. And we wanted to be taught and we wanted to be led and we wanted America to stand for something in that. And I think that he's been, it's, it's been a disappointment. Uh, last, two, last two questions. Um, first question was, um, you did an event, the, um, the Share Good Fortune, an event for uh, Tony. For Tony. And I mean, that was an amazing event that you put on. Um, and you had some of the, I mean, you had the, the big names there. Can, can you talk about that event real, real quickly? Well, you know, Tony's son died, Slade. And again, you, you have to reach out. I went down, Maya was with, with us, of course. I drove down, uh, Maya lives two hours from me. I'm always getting, <laughs> I'm always getting tickets. And uh, I, 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 I'm always laughing and saying, I know that I'm not going to heaven. I'm going to go to hell, but I'm going to get a day pass to heaven. And one of the people I'm going to talk to is Maya and say, girl, you know how much money I save now that I don't have to drive down to see you because I used to drive down and get tickets all the time. But I drove down to see Maya and I said, you know, what should we do? Because I, I didn't want to do something alone. I wanted to do, I, I thought that Maya and I should do it together. And we decided to have a celebration of Tony. And what we did was just get on the phone to everybody. And we invited, if you were walking, we invited. And almost, um, I can think of two people, one of whom I'll never speak to again in my life, who didn't come. But almost everybody else came. And what we did that, again, I thought was important, we were showing Tony what we, what we, what we felt that we loved. And when she came on stage that night after everybody, we did the readings. After everybody had read, after everything, Tony came on stage. And, and it was so wonderful. Maya and I were like holding hands at that point. And she said, you know, Tony said, you know, if nothing else ever happens to me in my life, this has done it for me. This shows me where, what, I, what I mean to you all. And we were so, Maya and I were so pleased, you know, Maya is, is going to be dead a couple of weeks later because she had, uh, you know, she had uh, uh, physical uh, uh, issues and we were all together uh, quite naturally in New York. But it was just wonderful to, it was just wonderful for all of us to come together to celebrate one of the, one of the world's most brilliant novelists. Mm. And we were able to say to Tony, because, you know, usually these things happen after you're dead. Everybody stands around and says how wonderful you are. And we wanted to say you're wonderful while she could hear. And so we were very, very proud. I, I, I'm so, I am incredibly proud of that event. And uh, it, was, it was wonderful. It was our sheer good fortune to be able to celebrate Tony. And again, to the audience members, you should go out and check that video out. Last question that you have I to do. talk about your book is Chasing Utopia. Is that correct? It is. Thank you. Well, Utopia, Chasing Utopia. Utopia is a beer. And when my mother died, my mother died in 2005. So she's been dead 10 years. And it took me the longest to be able to just have the time to, to mourn, you know, mommy. But my mother drank a beer as, every day that I, as, as an adult, every day that I knew her, she drank a beer. And mommy drank um, Genuine Light. What is that thing? Miller's Genuine, genuine uh, Draft. Yes, I and I don't drink beer. I cook with it, but I don't drink it. And I was being sad and missing mommy. And I thought, oh, I said to my dog, our, our dog is named Wendy. I said to Wendy, oh, we should drink a beer for the old girl, you know, just remembering mommy. But since I didn't like it, I thought I should get the best beer in the world. If you're going to do something like that, you get the best. And we went up to Barnes and & Noble and, and looked up the beer because I didn't want to buy the book. I just want to know what was number one. And the, <laughs> the number one beer in the world is Utopia. 
And of course, Utopia, not of course, but Utopia is $250 a uh, pint. So it's not something that, you know, you don't go to Kroger's to buy. The uh, barista from Sam Adams called into a show like I'm talking to you all. And he said, I'm the barista from, from Sam Adams. And tell you tell Dr. Giovanni we are sending her a Utopia and the glasses to drink it out of. <laughs> <laughs> so we have if, if you don't mind, there are a couple of poems out there that I might have to um, use for special occasions. Um, all right. <laughs> if, if you don't mind, I'll send you the proceeds, but I communicate and fill life with apron. Yeah, thank you. That's a, isn't that a lovely uh, um, uh, love poem? Yeah, it sure yeah. is. So I, I might have to use that one. <laughs> I, I'll give you credit. Right, that's fair enough. Yes, ma'am. Thank you all. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you a lot. Take yeah. care. Thank you. Bye-bye. And this has been another episode of the Free Lunch Podcast. Uh, BG, do you want to let the people know how they can get a hold of us? Yeah, before I do that, man, I had an opportunity to talk to people that we look up to that inspire us um, to get them on this show and allow them the opportunity to talk to the Free Lunch Podcast family is, is beyond anything that I could possibly say. Maya Angelou once said that people live in direct relationship to the heroes and sheroes that they have. And so that's what we're doing here on the Free Lunch Podcast. So with that said, we got a whole lot of content out there that you can take advantage of. Feel free to hit us up on the website, www.freelunchpodcast.com. Also, let us know what you think about our episodes on Twitter, Free Lunch Pod C. Check for us on Instagram, Free Lunch Podcast, and on YouTube, Free Lunch TV. Man, do you realize what we just did, BG? We just talked to Professor Dr. Nikki Giovanni, one of the most profound authors and poets in american history your thoughts become things dr giovanni was one of the people that you bg that you mentioned we should have on this show when we first decided to do this show and we say this all the time your thoughts become things so i think this is another example of how um how that is how that is actually reality um it was an honor to to be able to have her on our show Hopefully you all were able to get something out of that episode. Uh, we didn't want to keep her too long, but she she managed to stay on the show for for over forty minutes, man. For 40, over over forty five minutes, so that's a blessing within itself. Yes, sir. Um, I like to thank everybody for tuning in into the show. I am your boy Tight. That is the main man, BG. This is the Free yeah, Life yeah. Podcast, and we are home to the New South Movie. Yeah.